Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. And so God has a, a purpose for all of us. And he has a purpose for Mike and Josh. But I have a question for you today. Let's, let's look at 1 Samuel 16. Very familiar story. Very familiar passage that you know. Okay? 1 Samuel 16. I'm reading it out of the NIV. And starting at verse 1, it says this. It says, The Lord said to Samuel. Now, guys, this is when God expressed how displeased he was with King Saul. There was a king, King Saul. He had done some things. The Lord didn't like it. He was disobedient. So the Lord spoke to Samuel, who was a prophet at the time. And he said, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? He told Samuel, he said, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, remember Saul's the king. And if Saul hears that I'm coming to anoint someone else king, okay? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me because he's king. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they saw him because a prophet's coming to town. What's he going to say? So they, they, they trembled, and they asked, Did you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Now he's one of Jesse's sons. He took a look at him and he thought, <clears throat> boy, surely the Lord's anointing, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. In other words, I'm looking at this guy. I'm looking at Michael. I'm looking at Josh and I'm saying, this is a handsome guy right here. Certainly, this is the Lord's anointed. And he said, this is the, the Lord's anointed that stands before me. Surely, this is the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at people on the outside. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, this all you got? These all the sons you have? Are these all the sons you have? 
There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Then Samuel went on to Ramah. Now here we have a situation with this young man, David. And you think about it, most of us have been in situations in our life where we didn't ask to be put in the situation. Have you ever been in that? You've been in a situation where I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to be here. I mean, we didn't get an opportunity to choose the family that we'd be born into. We didn't get an opportunity to choose our gender, our ethnicity. We certainly didn't get an opportunity to choose our parents. For some of us, thank goodness. I don't know who you would have chose. But in this particular story, we see something that's very important. Something very important is about to happen. God is about to anoint the next king of Israel. Now, this is important because the king is obviously the ruler of all of the kingdom. Everything that happens in the kingdom has to be run by the king first. The king is responsible for the people and the land. And according to Exodus 2.28, the people cannot curse the king. The Bible says in Exodus 2.28, you can't curse God and you cannot curse the king. And I know in, in our country and many other countries, we say a lot of things about our rulers, our presidents, and all of that. It happens in a lot of countries. But here, you could not curse the king. Now, this, this was an important position. The king ruled over the people and the land. The king was chosen and anointed by God. Chosen, specifically, and anointed. This was no small thing, guys, when Samuel came to anoint God's next ruler. No small thing. And here we have David. He's in the back somewhere tending sheep. And he couldn't have been too close because Samuel didn't say, hey, just call for David. David, come on in here. Come over here. Come around front. No, he said, send for him and we're not going to sit down. So he's, he's in the back 40 somewhere doing his thing. So I'm saying that David's probably not even paying attention to what's going on. Maybe he heard that some things were going on up front, but I got these sheep to take care of. I don't know what you guys are doing. I'm taking care of these sheep. And apparently he did a pretty good job because later we find out, check this out, that he fought a lion and a bear and defeated both of them when they tried to attack the sheep. So David was into what he was doing. He was attacking, I mean, he was protecting his sheep. And when they were attacked... He protected them. Now, do you, does anyone have that on their resume where you killed a lion and a bear, especially without a gun? Come on, somebody. David was that nobody that nobody noticed at that time. David didn't choose to be king. It's not like he was in the back 40 with the sheep saying, these sheep get on my nerves. I cannot wait till one day I'm the king because when I become king, I'm going to change this. I'm going to change that. No, he was attending. He didn't have time to even think about that. So he didn't choose 
his purpose. But the question is, what do you do when purpose chooses you? How do you respond when purpose chooses you? Now, all of us have gifts. All of us have talents. All of us have things that God has given us. We know Romans 12, 6. It says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We all have something in us that God has given us. But one of the things that really trips us up sometimes is that we get our mindset on the way that we should go. And when we're interrupted by God because purpose chooses you and you thought it was this way and God has said, no, I had you there for a moment, but I'm taking you this way. We want to fight against it. No, 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 no. I'm supposed to go this way because that's my gift and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be tending these sheep and I'm good at it. I killed a lion. I killed a bear. I'm good at tending to the sheep. But purpose came knocking. I know you're with the sheep, but I got something else for you to do. Matthew 7, 11 says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God has given you gifts, gifts, gifts. First Peter 4.10 says each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various form. What do you do when purpose calls you? James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He doesn't change like shifting shadows shadows. Every gift comes from God. So you have a gift. You have gifts that God has given you. And so realizing that the question for us becomes, what do you do when purpose chooses you? How do you respond? How do you respond? I remember working at, in the corporate America and I was just so happy that I got this job because I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. More money than I've ever made. We'll get to that slide in just a moment. Not there yet. More money than I've ever made in my life. And what happens is I, I, was, I, was, I was satisfied. I said, man, this is, this is great. And our manager quit. He just up and quit one day. And so my, the big boss, uh, my manager's manager came to me and said, have you ever thought about being a manager? And I said, no, I've never thought about that. I'm just happy to be here making money. I'm just, I'm just smiling like Josh or Michael. I'm just, I'm, I'm good. But he said, yeah, I think, I think it would be good for you to be a manager. So I said, okay, I'll try it. So I became manager. I interviewed, became manager. I was good at the job I was doing before, and now here I'm in new territory. But all of a sudden, I get good at this job. And it's not because of me, it's because of the grace of God. But I realized, wow, I'm really good at this. This is, okay, I didn't think I would be, but, but I'm, I'm doing pretty good. So now, all of a sudden, not only am I over about 28 to 30 people in this area, but all of a sudden I get to be on teams where I'm now managing other managers in other states. 
And I'm saying, Lord, this is, this is kind of strange because I didn't go to school for this. I didn't train for this. I didn't prepare for this. I'm out here tending sheep. I'm happy that I'm making this money. Now, I, mind you, the money, it wasn't that much money. It was just more money than I had ever made in my life, okay? And so Dietrich said, yeah, that's right. Amen. I know that's right <laughs> on both counts. And uh, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm saying, okay, now I'm really happy. This is the top of the world right here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And so uh, all of a sudden, uh, a, a memo comes down and it says, uh, we're closing down the center. This is after a few years. And I'm really comfortable in this because I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I have the respect of the people, have the respect of the other managers in Wisconsin, Illinois, you know, Pennsylvania, New York. I have the respect of my peers. And I'm like, Lord, this is great. I can be good influence for you because you have given me favor with you and you have given me favor with man. Thank you, Lord. And they said, we're shutting down your center. You have to move to Detroit or find another job or you just you're off the payroll. So I'm saying, what? Now, if they would have said, you know, moved to maybe, you know, Key West or something, L.A., I don't know, someplace warm, the Caribbean, St. Bart's, you know, y'all got an office there somewhere, Hawaii. No, but it was Detroit. So I said, I'm not moving to Detroit. <laughs> I'm not moving my family to Detroit. So I said, Lord, I don't know. I guess this has been a good run. What can I say? And uh, all of a sudden, I get a call from the engineering office. And the lady says, hey, have you ever thought about being an engineer? I said, no. <laughs> I was happy making the money I was making, and now I was happy being a manager over this area. She said, well, we think you'd make a good engineer, and we need people in engineering. So I go over and interview with her, all the while thinking, I've never went to school for engineering. I don't even know anything about engineering. I hear they draw on a piece of paper or they toot a horn or whatever. That's all I know about engineering. I know nothing about it. So she gets me over there and says, you got the job as an engineer. Wow. Really, Lord? <laughs> so now I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer and I'm meeting all these people. And all of a sudden in the, in the engineering uh, division, Someone comes to me and says, hey, we heard that you uh, were leading a Bible study downtown. And I was. I, when I was a manager, I, I got an opportunity to lead a Bible study. And we got up to about 60 or 70 people leading this Bible study. So that was all out the window to me. And we went to this other office. They said, we heard you lead, led a Bible study downtown. We'd like to do a Bible study here. Okay, that's fine. I did that. I could do that. And so all of a sudden we started a Bible study there. I'm in engineering, uh, you know, for a few years. All of a sudden I get good at it. Now all of a sudden I'm pretty good engineer. Just because I, you know, I worked at it, uh, I had favor with the people. Guys were showing me what to do, you know, when I made mistakes. And so now I'm good at this, doing engineering. All of a sudden I get a call from... Pastor Phil Amendola needs you to take over the Life Church because I'm retiring. What? what? <laughs> now I'm looking at my salary because it's kind of gone up. I mean, I'm not Bill Gates, but we're not just getting by either. I'm just saying. Praise God. What? <laughs> So we prayed about it, and uh, obviously I became pastor of the Life Church and left AT&T, all that money. But I came here, <laughs> praise God. 
And now, now that I look back on all of that, fellas, all this little story that I'm telling, I look back on all of that and I see how every step of the way God was preparing me, preparing me for where I am now. Now, what if any step, any of those steps, I would have just said, no, that's not for me. What do you do when purpose calls you? Any of those steps, I could have said, no, I'm happy. I, I never thought about being a manager and I don't want to be a manager. I'm good. I'll stay right here. But no, I went ahead and did it. And now looking back, see, you don't see it when you're in it until you get an opportunity to go forward and then look back. Say, now, Lord, I see how you were preparing me every step of the way for where I am now. What do you do when purpose calls you? Let me very quickly give you four responses that we should have. Now we're ready. Brother Tegan, thank you. Thank you very much. And how do you respond to purpose when purpose comes calling? The very first thing I think that we have to understand is that God is going to come to you and say, what's in your hand? What do you have? Remember, all of us have gifts. All of us have something we can offer to the Lord. So God's going to come to us and say, what's in your hand? What is that that you have? Exodus 4, 1 and 2, Moses, he, he answered God and said, what if they don't believe me? He told him, go uh, rescue my people and go talk to Pharaoh. What if they don't believe me? What if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? What if they don't believe me? The Lord said to him, what's in your hand? What do you have? Moses said, I have a staff in my hand. Now, this is probably a walking cane, because I'm thinking at this time, Moses is probably about 80 years old. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was about 40 when he killed the Egyptian and went to the backside of the desert and got married and raised his family. And I think he was uh, back there about 40 years. So he's, you know, he's, he's in his 80s now. So he's got this staff that's helping him walk. God said, what's in your hand? A staff. He said, throw it down on the ground. He threw it down. It turned into a snake. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> this staff that was in Moses' hand, Moses just looked at it as a walking staff. All it's doing is helping me to walk. It was just a rod. But God used it as an instrument for miracles. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? And so when you think about it, God used this staff to part the Red Sea, to bring 10 plagues on Egypt, and even to bring water out of a rock. What's in your hand? A walking stick. It's just helping me walk. I didn't think this was anything. It's just some old stick I picked up. Just some old stick. God works with what's in our hands. In John chapter 6, you remember the story where Jesus fed the 5,000. He and the disciples fed 5,000 people. Watch this now with just five loaves of bread. Now watch what the Bible says. Sometimes we skip over this. Five loaves of bread and two fish. But the Bible actually says five loaves of bread and two small fish. He weren't some big, oh, who's a fisherman? The big carp, big tuna. You know, I don't know if these might have been a little bluegill or something. He, he fed 5,000 people. What's in your hand? What do you have? We're always looking for something else. I got to get something more. But God's saying, "What well, I already gave you everything you need. Many times we look for outside sources to help us and doubt God's ability to use that which he already placed in our hand. Recognize what is in your hand. Listen to me. Don't disregard the gifts you've been given because what you see as trivial God sees as transformational. Yeah. 
Recognize what you have right now in your hands. Number two, you're going to have to take chances. Now, as a Christian, we, we really don't even call it taking chances because we walk by faith and not by sight. But to our flesh, to our flesh, you're going to have to tell yourself that I, I, I cannot be afraid to take some chances. You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, he said, whoever watches the wind will not plant. And whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. What's he saying? He said, as you do not know the path of the wind or even how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Solomon says, sow your seed in the morning. And at the evening time, let not your hands be idle. Don't worry about the circumstances. Well, the wind is saying this. I'm not really sure. I just don't know if I can do it. Sow your seed. Sow your seed. He says, because you don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether they both will. God just wants you to be obedient. He just wants you to be obedient. Sow your seed. Take your shot. Let me put it that way. Don't throw away your shot, Renee. That's right. That's what I should have put there. Don't throw away your shot. And then, well, you know, a football coach once said this. Do you want to be safe and good, or do you want to take a chance and be great? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And then number three, and this is a big one, especially for us young people. Don't, are you guys laughing? Uh, don't, don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. <laughs> Look at this illustration Jesus used. And I, I look at it as uh, really he's talking about making excuses. In, in, in Luke chapter 12, he said, The servant who does not know the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. He said, But the one who does not know and does, he said, the, the servant who knows the master's will and doesn't do. But the one who does not know does things and does things deserving of punishment, he'll be beaten only with a few blows because he didn't know. Okay? And from, every, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. That's where we get much is given, much is required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. In other words, I've put gifts in your hand. And now you're starting to understand what gifts you have and what you can do. There's no room for excuses. Don't throw away your shot. You got to take your shot. Don't make excuses. There's a, there's a passage in Luke 19. It's a lot like the parable of the talents, but it's actually the parable of the minas. And I don't know if you've ever read this one or you just kind of say, oh, that's the same as the parable of the talents, but it's a little bit different. And it's about this nobleman who goes away and he goes away to another country and he's going to be made king and then he's going to come back. But before he goes away, he brings in 10 of his servants, not three, Luke 19, 10 of his servants and gives them a minas each. And my understanding is that a minas is about three years wages is what I've read. So he gives them one minas each and to see what they're going to do with it. So he goes away and then he comes back and he said, now, what have you done with my minas? Well, you know, they come up to him one by one. Well, I, I, I did this with it. I invested it. And here's more than what you gave me. That's what all of them say, except for one guy. One guy. This servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it, laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. 
You take out what you did not put in, you reap what you did not sow. And his master replied this. In other words, what happened was he took the mina. He said, I'm just going to keep this safe because what I want to do is like what Michael and Dietra wanted to do with Josh. We just would like to give, give it back the same way you gave it to me. That's what I want to do. But that's not what God expects. And uh, so he just, he hid it and put it away. When the guy came back, he said, I know you're a hard man. I didn't want to lose it, so I'm giving it back to you. Think about this now. His master replied and said, I will judge you by your own words, what you just said. You wicked, so he called him a wicked servant. I kept what you gave me. You wicked servant, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Here's the reason why we can't make excuses is because God expects more of you than what he gave you. He expects you to turn what he gave you into a profit for the kingdom of God. Whatever God put in your hands, don't throw away your shot and don't make excuses because one day God is going to say, what have you done with what I have given you? What have you done? And it doesn't matter what that is, whatever your gift is. It could be anything, whatever it is that he put in your hand. Excuses are tools for the incompetent. Remember that always. And lastly, be a good steward over what you've been given. Now, a steward... What is a steward? A steward is just someone who takes care of someone else's property. That's really what a steward is, okay? Remember 1 Peter 4.10, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's what we need to use it for. Proverbs 11.24, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Listen to this now. I'm going to say this, and I really want this to get into your spirit. Proverbs 11.24 says, one gives freely and grows all the more richer. He grows richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. He's only in want. You see, the kingdom of God works differently than the way we would think, than our economy. The one who gives gains more. The giver, the giver's heart gains more. But the one who holds the tight-handed one is always in want. They always want more. So you've got to be a good steward over what God has given you. Everything that you are and everything that you have has been given to you by God. Everything. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those that dwell therein. Everything, everything belongs to to God. You may not have asked for what you received, but remember, God only gives good gifts. So whatever you have and whatever you're going to do, it's a good gift that God has given it to you. He gives you beauty for ashes. And you were amazingly and miraculously made, fearfully and wonderfully made. So you do not have to be afraid to flow in your gifts as long as you always remember to acknowledge God in everything that you do. If I could encourage you in anything, young men, it would be don't wait for opportunities to come to accomplish your goal. You create them. You be proactive. You take initiative. When you know that there's something in your hand, don't 
throw away your shot. Mark Twain once said this, without dreams and goals, there is no living, only mere existing. And that is not why we are here. Fellas, you are not here just to exist. You have a purpose. And that purpose, if it hasn't already, at, one, one, at some moment, is going to come calling to you. What do you do when purpose calls you? When purpose chooses you? How will you respond? You guys are world changers. You see all, all the old people out here, including me? You are our future. We are depending on you. And the reason we're depending on you is because we know that your hearts are toward God. And we know that he has anointed you. You may not even know the, the, the fullness and the depth of the anointing that God has on you right now. But we're depending on you. I know that might seem like it's a lot on your shoulders. You guys lived your life. But we're depending on you. And future generations are depending on you. But here's the last thing I'll say to you. Don't, don't look at that as... Uh, a heavy burden because as long as the Lord is on your side and he always will be as long as you are anointed if God be for you who can be against you God gives you the grace to carry out everything that he's put in your hands so what he expects the reason why you can't make excuses is because with the Holy Spirit you can do anything the Bible says I can do all things through Christ Christ, Christ, if you really go deep into that, it's really not just talking about the person Jesus, it's talking about the anointing of God, Christ. I can do all things through Christ, the anointing which strengthens me. There is nothing that you can't accomplish and nothing that you can't do. Amen.